Welcome to the Student of the Game Fire Podcast with your host, Danny B. Today's guest is Bob Reiser, 20 years of career experience, currently a battalion chief with Story County Fire District in Virginia City, Nevada. From the moment our conversation begins, Bob drops some truth bombs and nuggets for all to hear regardless of rank. What puts the icing on the cake is the fact that although Bob is a battalion chief, his mindset and outlook towards his position is what firefighters across the country want. A leader with bugles who never forgot his roots and actually puts forth the effort making sure the line is dialed in when it comes to training and standards. With that, I present Mr. Bob Reiser. Bob Reiser. I currently work for Story County Fire District as a battalion chief. Uh, Unlike a lot of the people that come into this. I'm a first generation firefighter. Uh, graduated from college in in high school and through college I ran track and cross country. I was on a scholarship, which was a blessing because there wasn't a lot of money to to do it otherwise. But partway through college, they canceled my scholarship. Um, not because of anything that I did, but there was a, a Title IX situation and the, the college shifted some money over to the women's program and that took my, my scholarship away. So I kind of lost for a little bit. Um, ended up going to a, a party with some friends and ran into a guy who was in the fire service and he's talking about all the cool things that he gets to do and all the technical rescues and, and all the, the things that we really want to sell ourselves about. We're going to talk about the EMS side. That wasn't really a, a topic, not nearly as fun. <laughs> but I thought, hey, this is uh, this sounds kind of cool. I want to I want to go check this out. So I did an entry level firefighter class at the community college just to kind of get my feet wet, uh, and I was hooked. It was it was game on from there. Uh, busting out my EMS certs, continuing to work. Um, Figuring out what I wanted to do was a big deal, but I already had my my bachelor's degree in English, which I didn't think was going to be helpful in the fire service. And I learned quickly as I promoted that learning how to read, write, and speak is kind of an important aspect. Yeah. Um, so um, working through that, I thought I put myself through a, the community college academy and because they, they weren't hiring and a lot of the agencies around us weren't hiring and then putting you through an academy. Some were, but that wasn't a common thing. So I put myself through the fire academy and then they kept me on afterward as a student assistant so I could still be involved and and still help out and do training and help the guys with PT and, and some of those things. And during my academy, one of the funny things they said was, hey, it's going to take eight to 10 test before you even get the chance to to get an interview and it's going to take a while to get a career position and my very first test that i took was over in california for uh sac city and it was back when it was still hard to get a job Mm -hmm. in the fire service compared to how it is now at least and i took the test and was like i think i did okay it was just a written to to work through the rest of the process and I got my letter back and it said, if you're not number one, two, or three, plan to test again. And then the line below that is, congratulations, you're number two. 
Oh, wow. And this was out of a huge pool of candidates. I was like, ha eight years, eight, eight interviews, whatever that is. No, no chance. And then the line right below that. However, we are only hiring firefighter paramedics. If you're not a paramedic, test again. Oh, man. Then I came to find out that they were right. Um, it took me about eight or so before I got a real opportunity. I had gone through medic school. And it's not because I necessarily wanted to be a paramedic. I, I definitely love the EMS side of things. I think that's our greatest exposure. So we get to help a lot of people that way. And I think that's really important. Um, but I really wanted to get a job. And that was one of the ways to get my, my foot in the door. And ironically, at the end of medic school, I had three separate job offers. Okay. So... I chose the one where I knew it was going to be engagement, like right out of the gate, like Wild West, small department, uh, 600, 630 square miles, one career station, uh, seven different communities running about 2,600 calls a year to start with and running solo a lot. It was a combination department. And I would head out in a utility vehicle with my medic gear and I would be first on scene waiting for people to show up. Hopefully the volunteers are going to come. If not, they'll try and send the other paid guy um, to come get me and load me in an ambulance and take us to the hospital. But back in the day working, I'd initiate codes. I'd, I'd have a cardiac arrest code and I'm working it by myself to, to start the call. So we literally, it was, it was wild west days. I mean, my first week in the fire service, I was in a, a burnover incident on a wildland fire, wondering if I'd chosen the right career, you know, <laughs> um, watching hundred foot flames roll over the top of the, the type three that I'm sitting in by myself. Uh -huh. So it was a wild indoctrination into the fire service, but like a, a lot of the guys that guys and gals get into it. I survived the burnover and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm in, I'm hooked. I'm, I'm ready to go. Uh, progressed through that agency. We were small as, as you kind of pick up on, mm -hmm. um, didn't have captains, didn't have operators. So when we got that first opportunity, we knew we needed leadership. So the first opportunity to promote to captain was early. It was uh, three years into my career, we created captains. And we didn't have a lot of guys with a lot of time and a lot of experience. We had a, a, a small department with some young guys and I had some life experience. I wasn't 20 coming in. I was in my early 30s. So I threw my hat in the ring and was blessed for the opportunity to do that and help, you know, start developing a culture in the department that was positive and, and make sure guys are out training and we're busy. And then down the road, five years later, it's our first round of battalion chiefs because we've had some growth and we've been able to bring some other personnel on board and we're adding another career station. So first round of battalion chiefs and then I became a battalion chief. Wasn't the career plan that I had for myself at right. all. I didn't expect it to, to grow that way. Um, I don't know that I would change it, but it was, it was definitely something that impacted me early on.
And now at this point in my career, I've been a BC longer than I've held any other rank in the fire service. And I'm still only coming up on 20 years. That's challenging. It's a blessing and a curse, I guess I would say. Um, it's a blessing in that that first organization that I was with had a super steep learning curve because mm -hmm. you were, you were getting after it by yourself right out of the gate. I mean, I, you take a fire engine to a, a structure fire and it's just you until everyone else shows up. Ah, okay. And geographically your, your closest station was going to be 13 miles away. So it was going to be a while before they get there. Right. Right. So that learning curve, you learn a lot of things, but the problem is it's, it's like a, a pond, right? Okay. So it's, it's a mile wide, but only two inches deep. Right. 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 So your knowledge base is really diverse, but you don't have depth of knowledge in a lot of things. That took a while until we got enough personnel to, to be able to get some depth. Right. Because now we can diversify a little bit and I don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. I don't need to be a jack of all trades, master of none. I can go, OK, I want to be really good at these things. So that was a big challenge, you know, coming into the fire service because that wasn't how regular business world was. That, right. that was not at all. It was much more specialization. So that was kind of my indoctrination of coming into the fire service on the first first start of it. Then uh, that organization started to see some different challenges and some different leadership. And I felt like we weren't going the same direction and I was looking for something different. And that's how I ended up in Story County. It'll be three years. Uh, March of 2024 will be three years in this department. Another still very small department. We run just over 2000 calls a year out of four stations that are geographically really separated. Um, we have two stations in what I refer to as the South District, which is Virginia City, which is the largest national historic landmark. Okay. So that's that's mining, that's origination of the state with Silver State. So uh, small area, we still have boardwalk, wooden boardwalk, and we have people dressing up like it's 1860 having fake gunfights on main street um all the way out to my north district where my station is at i cover all of it but the north district where we have the geographically the largest industrial park in the united states so hmm. we have tesla and google and switch and we have lithium battery recyclers and we have stuff that exists one place in the world um so lots of different things, a very diverse district right. uh, between those two. So just a unique department to, to work for. So just kind of love the job. It just it reinvigorates you to, to learn new things, work with different people. I would love to be able to spend, you know, 30 years in one department and just develop a real good depth of everything. Mm -hmm but I love the change and the diversity and be able to experience new things and, and work with a whole new set of personnel and, and help develop a smaller organization and we'll see where it goes. Okay. Um, first thing, uh, your old department seems like you guys have a lot of John Wayne time. 
I mean, oh, yeah. you have to do what you have to do. I mean, it is what there are departments out there in 2024 that still operate like that. Yeah, absolutely. It it's still it's rural rural firefighting, right? We know that the majority of the fire service in the United States is three three stations or less. That's the reality. There's not a bunch of FDNYs. There's not a bunch of you know, Miami Dades or Houston's or any of those, it's all the, the small stuff. And even as a battalion chief, the craziest thing to me was the first time, because you would move gear from rig to rig. Every apparatus was cross-staffed. Right? Ah, so okay. you're on an ambulance because we were ALS all risk transport and we are still in the current department. But you lived out of a bag, right? So it was crazy to me the first time I became a battalion chief and I could actually take my gear out of the bag and just have it next to the rig or on the rig. Like this, this is amazing. I could just hop right in my gear and, and go to a call. I don't have to grab it and shuffle and make sure I didn't forget my, my face piece or my right. helmet or right. whatever else, my wildland gear. So I could, I could really focus for the first time. And that was, that was strange. Right. So a lot of people don't get that. You know, I've, I've been to structure fires, even as a battalion chief, where I show up and I feel like the the comedy video, you know, you know, so you're going to put the water on the fire, but I right. show up as a and, battalion and, chief and the buggy. The water. Right. right. What, do you, what do you want me to do? Right. I'm going to get a backpack pump with five gallons of water and I'm going to put your structure fire out. Good luck. That's uh, uh, no, uh, I, I I understand those sentiments. I call it uh, musical fire trucks. You oh, know, yeah. you, you can never set your gear on one. I, I I always hated that though. I really because I would leave something. I would always, always. So it doesn't set you up for success in the way that we want to. Mm -hmm. So we really have to focus on if that's what we have. What what can we do best, right? What's the, the best operating mode, the, the trouble, and it's one of the things you talk about with a lot of the, the people you interview is there's no way to have PDAs. I, I can't, I can't set you up for that. Yeah. I have one station. So out of my four stations, three of them are two person staffing. Each one has a medic. So my South district has two stations. One has a captain. So that captain supervises personnel that aren't even in his station. All right. Okay. They're they're 10 to 12 minutes away, depending on how fast they're driving. Right. My other stations on my north end, I have in that commercial district, I have a station with four personnel. So at least there they can separate out and mm -hmm. run two people on the the for us rescues or ambulances. Mm -hmm. Um so they can split and either put two people on the engine, two people on the truck, or shift around. So they're the only ones that can really kind of have a PDA. So I have an operator, but I don't have a designated operator. I just have someone who's assigned to operate that day. Right. Right. So it changes the dynamic. That's the only station that can really lay things out, even to the point of, okay, if we're all here, here's your assignment. Here's your tool assignment. Here's whatever it is we're going to have today. But the other guys don't have that opportunity. You know, they have to be thinking like immediate response. What do I need? So really laying out those plans for them in advance is important. Yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah.
it's one of those things, you know, you, you, if you, if you are, if you do work for like an agency like FDNY or even an agency that has at least three minimum, at however many stations you got, it, it is a blessing because there are departments like yours and, and not saying it's to your own fault, but you got to do what you got to do. And, and it's just, it's astounding to hear that, to hear how certain departments have to operate. Yeah, absolutely. It's the nature of what we have. It, it's funny when I have, if we're having a big training and we always joke about, so now we've got like 10 guys there because we've shifted personnel around or we've got people in for a specific training day and you're able to take them all to a fire. I don't know what to do with them all. Right. Right. You're so used to guys going, okay, we're going to go three bottles deep on a, a fire and now what would normally be a multi-hour fire between the, the knockdown and the overhaul and mop up and all of those things. And like, oh, okay, so now we have what I refer to as extra guys, mm -hmm. in our world, which would never be extra guys in anyone else's world, right. right? Or the majority, right? So now I'm trying to figure out what to do with them, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm so used to, okay, so head to rehab, come back out. And let's go back in. Mm -hmm. right. mm -hmm. Now it's okay. We're we're done. Everybody rehab. And that th those are weird moments. They're few and far between. But right. That that's a, a challenge that uh, we'll get there. We'll oh, definitely I, get there at some point. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, my next uh, kind of question is: you you stated your first department the leadership and the way you see things weren't aligned. So you decided to leave. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of individuals out there who are pondering that to themselves. What would your advice be to those who feel like the, the, the best way I like to put it is when you get hired, the department goes, these are our standards. We need you to meet them. But at some point throughout your career, you will realize the department's not meeting my standards. So uh, what do you have to say to, you know, to, to those thinking about that? I think it, it's an interesting discussion when we talk about culture and fit. Right? So at that department, one of the things that they talk about, which was a, a challenge for me, was we want people who are a good cultural fit for our department. That is a, such a tough thing to figure out of what your culture is. Or what you're aspiring to be. You know, we, we all would love it to be, you know, Chief Thompson in the colony and right. we're developing this culture and here's our steps to get there, right? Right. We've outlined what that is, but a lot of departments aren't that progressive. So with that one, at one point we had a struggle because we had a shift reorganization. And we're we're moving you around because we need to change the culture. And I asked the question, okay, what culture are we trying to, to get to? Because that's important. I want to be able to support mm -hmm. Well, no, no, no. We're just, we're moving the, the personnel around because we're going to try and change the culture. And that was an indicator for me that we don't even know what we want. Right. That, that doesn't work. Um, and that, that cultural fit, and I look at that and you come in as a young firefighter in a lot of cases and, and you have nothing but a love for the job, Right. I don't have a spouse. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have, you know, dogs. I don't have cats. So I don't have my dogs yet. 
I don't have my big lifted truck or my boat or all the other crazy <laughs> things firefighters get into. And I want to work all the time. I'm a great fit for my organization. So five years down the road, when I have a spouse, I have a mortgage, I've got two kids, I've got my three dogs, I'm coaching my, my, my kids little league or soccer or whatever it is. And I don't work as much. Am I now not a good organizational fit? We have to look at what that long-term piece is and how we're going to set our personnel up for success. For me, the culture wasn't working anymore. I couldn't spend every hour focused on the department. Because at the end of the day, we have to think about if we're not taking care of our family, because they're going to be the ones that are there after. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're going to retire. Is your family still going to be around? Or did you abandon your family for the job? Fire is incredibly important to me. It is a significant part of my life. It is not my life. Mm -hmm. and you have to make sure that your personnel understand that and you're setting them up for that. And if your organization only cares about you and your role and not you as a person, it's not the right organization. Um, a term that we learned early on, and it was from one of my fire chiefs, and I, I totally get it. I can't stand it, but I get it. And he referred to it as the golden handcuffs, right? So we got gotcha, you, right? You're right. in. You're looking at your pay. Now you, you're up in your steps and you've got all these incentives and you don't feel like you can leave because you don't want to start over. Mm -hmm. right? But what do we know from, from so many guys that you've interviewed or that are in the fire service in general? I mean, how many Marcus Roscoe's are there? How many John Sparrow's are there that just said, hey, forget it. You know what? I want to be happy. Right. So I'm going to leave. And even for me, it was a pay cut. I was, I was topped out. I was doing really well. Mm -hmm. It was no longer about money. It was about being happy. And you have to make that decision. If you want to run more fires, you want to go to a busier department because you're young and you're aggressive. We have a guy who is, he's got one set left with us before he leaves to go to a bigger department. And I'm, I'm never going to knock him for that. We're, we're good, but we're still young and we're growing and I can't give him everything that he wants in the fire service. Right. So if he thinks he can find that someplace else, I, I support you. Give me, give me your best while you're with us. I will do my best to support you. But if you got to go, go. Right. Right. Um, it's going to suck for us because I got to find a way to replace a really good employee. Right. Right. Because the bad ones don't leave. Right. Yeah. The that's, bad ones stay. that's the truth. The bad ones stay. Absolutely. Right. So I think that's a, it was a big mental thing, but I realized I was at a point and my wife was at a point because I was so, so stressed out all yeah. the time that I was bringing it home. And it was staying at home and my days off were miserable. And it, it's almost like if you've hurt yourself on the job and you're rehabbing from an injury and your spouse thinks you're miserable because you are, because you want to get back in the firehouse and you want to get back to work and they want you out. But I was like that while I was still working. 
Right. And, and that wasn't good. You know, there, there are so few days where you should ever not want to go to work in this job because this job is amazing, right? This career is, it gives way more back to us than we will ever be able to give to it. And to not want to go, that's not good, right? Yeah. You, you got to figure out what's going to make you happy, where is going to make you happy. And now the fire service, you can go a lot of places with even just a little bit of experience and you can get a great, great new position, start at a great new agency and do what's going to be best for you and your, your family. Uh, that's, <laughs> that was very well said. I, I had to ask that question. Cause like I said, it's one of those, you don't know how many people are, you know, contemplating that in their head, you know, I mean, cause you, you figure you finally made it and it's just not what you expect it's not what you see other departments putting out and you always question and wonder to yourself why can't my department be like that you know it's just one of those things so i i have to ask i have to ask it yeah absolutely um, i mean there's there's no perfect department no but no. there's one that might be perfect for you right yeah. right no agreed agreed okay um what does the term aggressive mean to you Aggressive is a, a buzzword for sure. Um, aggressive personalities. We've, we've got all these type A. You know, there's, there's certainly more than type A. And the more time I spend, you, you definitely see that. Um, aggressive to me assumes a lack of training in a, in a lot of ways, right? Is it aggressive with intent or aggressive with, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I train really hard. And things that may look aggressive to other people aren't to me. Um, I went to a rescue systems course. My, my probationary year in the fire service, I went to a rescue systems course. I was blessed with the opportunity to go. And I went with, we have one battalion chief who operated as a duty officer and he didn't want to go in his white hat because he was worried that, <laughs> you know, this is going to look weird, uh -huh. <clears throat> but I'm a probie, right? He wants me to call him by his first name. I didn't even know he had a first name, right? I mean, you know, but you're not allowed to use it. Right, right. And I did really good until about day three of the, the class. And then I called him chief in front of the instructors. And it was like the, the record player stopped, right? <clears throat> and all of a sudden, everyone just looked. And they're like, you're a chief? He's like, yeah, I'm a battalion chief. And they were like, thank God. And he he kind of did the, the Labrador cocked his head to the side, like, what, what are you talking about? And they said, we need more chiefs to come here and do training like this or to just watch the training. So they really understand what we're capable of, what our personnel are capable of, so they can support it and not get in the way. That was a huge learning moment for both of us. But for me in particular, to be able to say, hey, we're going to do some stuff that's crazy, right? We already mm -hmm. know that. How well are we going to be trained to do it? Because if you're trained to do it, it's no longer crazy, right? That doesn't mean we're not going to risk. Risk a lot to save a lot. Uh, all those things that we learned coming into the fire service, all those little buzz phrases that we have, right. it's like term aggressive. Right, right, right. But that was huge for them because they'd all seen it. You know, you're teaching, 
you got guys going out to training all around the country and they're learning cool tactics and they're learning all these things. And then they come back and they have leaders in their organization. Are like, no, you can't do that. That's dangerous. Exactly. Right. They're not understanding like the VES statistics and saying, Hey, no LODDs have occurred during wow. VES. Right. Right. So why would I not let you do VES if I know that you're trained to do it? So that level of aggression, you know, trained aggression, absolutely. Let's go. Stupid, you know, total cowboy stuff. And I say that knowing that in my first organization, there's a lot of cowboy stuff. Right. But you have to do there what you have also to do. A lot of, hey, you don't have two in two out. Okay. How mm -hmm. I feel about that now is very different than I was taught back then. Mm -hmm. I don't want to kick that three or four down the chain. Um, but it just changes how we approach things. That's why I focus so heavily with my guys on let's let's be really good at the basics. Right? We don't see as many fires as we used to. Mm -hmm. We just don't. Um, and that, I don't think that's through prevention efforts as much as in my small jurisdiction that I have now. We are predominantly industrial. And with the industrial that we have, we have some of the most high-tech suppression systems in the world. With VESDA systems that will tell you that there's too much dust in a room to, you know, we're going to put, depending on the area, I worry less about my firefighters getting injured or hurt from fire than I worry about high pile storage and there's so much water on the cardboard boxes that they're going to get crushed like we have a, a pet smart in our area. Okay. So I don't want my, my firefighters to get crushed by a giant box of dog toys that, you know, got soaked in water from a sprinkler system, putting out 250 gallons a minute. Right. So we balance all those things out, train hard, train every day. And for me, kind of how we met, right. So uh, met in the, the social, mm -hmm. social media, terms right mm -hmm. we haven't met yet at some point it's going to happen danny hey, i'm game sure yeah absolutely it it's that piece of for me i want to make sure that my personnel see me out getting after it and, and training and being ready to engage at any point uh jim mccormick talks about from fdtn right so he says i don't want to lower my standard I will not lower my standard, but I may have to alter my expectation. Absolutely. You know, I can't be gung-ho all the time and expect everyone to do what I do. But I can set a minimum bar for them. Mm -hmm. right? you're, you're balancing that with minimum in the fire service, right? one step above, above failure. All right, we definitely don't want to be there. Right, right. right. <clears throat> Or as, as Marco says, and a lot of the guys, like you've, you've said a couple of times, quoting him, do you want to be an asset or a liability? Mm -hmm. I, want, I want to be an asset. I want our personnel to be assets. I want the friends and neighbors, mutual aid departments to know, hey, we're coming and we're here to help. And we're not going to get in the way. You know, we're going to help you crush this, whatever it is, whatever the right. call is. Right. So for aggressive, train hard, train regularly. Right. Fires are high-risk, low-frequency events for all of us. EMS calls, generally not the case. 
Mm -hmm. But unless you're, you know, your, your chief Ike in a Scambia and you're running <laughs> seven boxes in a 24 hour shift. Right. Right. You're not getting the reps that way. So how are you going to get them mm -hmm. you're have to train to be ready for them? No, I'm, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, hit the nail on the head. And this, this leads perfectly because I'm going to, I'm going to read you something, which is why when I reached out to you and you were like, why me? I'm like, so that this is going to be why you wrote when you have trumpets on your collar, you have an obligation to set the standard. I feel I have to be fast so I can engage when it goes south. And I can tell you coming from a firefighter, there is no greater feeling than to see a battalion chief that puts in the work because it doesn't happen very often. Most of the time when battalion chiefs get promoted, you know, they're in their buggy, they arrive on scene, their command, they don't really put the gear on. They don't, they're not really expected to, but the fact that you put in the work through physical fitness day in and day out in a, in a field where it's, you have an advantage if you're younger, but as you get older, your body gets tired, you hurt more, and I'm starting to feel it as well. But it's one of those things, you know, I would go the distance for a, a chief like you because you're not only talking it, you're, you're actually doing it. You're actually putting in the work. So my question to you is, have you always been into training and working out in gear or did something click? It wasn't always, for sure. Um, I generally, like a lot of the guys, we would do our, whatever our training was, um, that we had assigned previous agency. I've done it ever since I came to this, my current department. So for the last three years, absolutely. And about two years prior to that, I really started doing it. You know, like I would do, I have some crazy posts where like I set up a climbing rope in the bay and I'm trying to climb up the rope in full PPE, SCBA on air. You know, I realized <laughs> it's really hard to climb a rope when you right. weigh an extra 65 pounds and you got structure gloves on. Right. And it doesn't work well. Right. But I would start to do a lot of my workouts in my gear because I needed to feel that. And I, I realized that when I would be on calls, I would have what I, I, I would have this plateau period. Say the first five minutes, they feel hard, regardless of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. you're, you're moving around. And you're running on the fire ground. Yeah, you're running on the fire ground because that's what we have to do, right? You come to my house, it's on fire. You better run, right? I don't need you to run like a crazy person, but you better move with intent. Right, right. right. We'll, we'll change the, the language on there. But I realized that at that five-minute mark, if I was able to push through that, that first five minutes of suck, that I could hit that comfort level, right? Um, I think about the uh the combat position and on combat and some of these guys where they start talking about heart thresholds right and what your senses are and what you lose and for me that was one of the pieces that impacted me was i realized i have that um like up downs right now i watch some of the guys in the fire service doing up downs with their, their pack on up downs will jack my heart rate like nobody's business okay i don't do them often enough so for me, I'm just stubborn enough that, okay, I'm going to keep doing them until they don't feel like they're going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, 2009, we had a stair climb event, a, a lung association stair climb. 
in the city of Reno, which is close by our jurisdiction, 36 floors, and it's a charity event, okay? but you're going to do stair climb on air. And my off switch is kind of broken, right? So sometimes I just kind of get after it. And I, there was no way I was going to let anyone pass me. And I didn't let anyone pass me. And I DFO'd at the top of the stairs. And I had exercise-induced rhabdomyolysis. So my kidneys decided, hey, uh, rapid muscle breakdown. You're dehydrated like a lot of firefighters are on a daily basis. And it took me out of work for about six weeks to get back to being operational and ready to go. And that was a big sign for me as well. Okay. To do stuff that's really hard, you got to get on air. Mm -hmm. You got to get in full gear. You got to put on your real gloves. Mm -hmm. Do the stuff that really matters and train the way that you're going to perform. Because practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Tying in with that was the concept for me, I guess, just a little shift in the, in the topic of training scars. And I look at how we set our personnel up for failure on a regular basis. And I was an instructor and commander at the community college. The, the program that I went to at a certain point, I took over after I got hired uh, full-time with my fire department and I started teaching there. And I look at a lot of the things that I did there, knowing what I know now. And we start setting people up for failure on day one because we have you lay your gear out all beautiful on the ground and you lay out your mask and your face piece and you set your gloves side by side and everything's dialed in perfect. Uh, I have never once set my gear up like that <laughs> in my firehouse, ever. Right. right? So <laughs> training scars had Brian Olson from Brothers in Battle came out a while back and did a tactics on tap, which we've started, uh, not we, but Northern Nevada, we have one here. So my brother's over at uh, Horton's. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yep. Um, Jesse and the guys started doing that. And Brian Olson came out and he's talking about the training scars piece and Chris Brennan's book, The Combat Position. And it takes about 200 reps to burn in a training scar. So I think about all the years that I was doing my mask ups and all these other things, and I was doing them to get it done, right? To meet this NFPA 60 second standard, okay, right. whatever. But the other piece from the book and what Brian relayed, it takes three to 5,000 reps to remove that bad training scar. So why would I ever teach you that to start with? Right? Why would I ever teach you to lay your stuff out on the ground just because it looks cool for academy photos? We want to get you familiar with the gear. No, I, I, I won't do that anymore. I won't support doing that with academies that we're involved with. I want you to learn it from day one with gloves on. Do, do what we're doing. Try and meet those standards. You know? So for me getting back into training, hitting that hard. Okay, so let's start with 30 seconds because I'm slow and I'm old, right? Okay. So try it with one gloved hand. Okay, then up to two gloved hands. And now 
I'm pretty consistent at about 20 seconds with my gloves on. And that's as a 51-year-old battalion chief. Okay, well, what's my next goal? My next goal is 15 seconds. I probably won't try and get faster than that, but I know me, so we'll see. Right? Right. But training in gear, you you don't have to do it every day. Mm -hmm. But all our fire service skills have attrition. They do. You know? That 24-foot ladder, that 28-foot ladder, if you don't throw it on a regular basis, the next time you do, it's going to feel heavier than it really is. Absolutely. Right? You don't do it often enough. You know, when was the last time you did that? One of the things that I teach cadets and then I try and, and teach with my firefighters that I do myself is I do what I call a ladder TikTok. So I throw my ladder from my left shoulder and my right shoulder. Because I can't guarantee that whatever rig I pull it off, I'm always going to have it on my right shoulder. Right? Um, I try and teach you to not put it on the ground and throw it. It's on your shoulder. Whether it's a high shoulder or wherever, throw it from there. Why put it down just so I can pick it back up again? Right? But that creates that dexterity to work off of both sides that is important. What are you going to do with those skills? You need to know. Um, I committed a while back when I started thinking about the training scars after the tactic on tap of recording all the different training scars that I identify. I'm going to hit up some other people. Hey, tell me about yours. Let's see where those things cross over. And I want to write an article about training scars and the things that we've identified. Why would we still teach that? You now you see videos of these large academies all the time. And they're still doing some of those same things, just those basic things, right? We verbalize things that we would never verbalize. We would do them, right? I'm a flashlight tool, okay? And I'm saying it with nothing in my hands, right? How about flashlight in my hand, tool in my hand, ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. um, those things are a big deal and we burn in the wrong message. And you know you default to your highest level of overtraining because that's what I'm going to remember. Right. So I'm going to default to flashlight and tool and I don't have either. That doesn't work. Right. So have I just increased the risk of a critical failure on the fire ground that is going to get someone hurt? I don't want to be involved with that. So it's working to make sure that we're not doing those things. We're doing better because we know we just need to do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, I can see why you have a a uh, a degree in English, because uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Like I said, I mean, every everything you're saying is is, is truth. I mean, it really is. It, it's a truth bomb. It could, because, ironically, you say that, but I just assisted in a uh, with with our recruits, and you're right. It's perfectly laid out. So my my, my question on the gear is. How do you teach recruits going forward now instead of laying it out? Do you, do you have them put it on the rig and then do it or? Well, I think we, we set them up in this perfect world. I, I struggle with what we're going to do. We have apparatus at our training grounds. Mm -hmm. So why don't we set it up the way that it would? Are we hanging it on the, the sidebar? Is your coat hanging on the sidebar? Your drops are on the ground? Okay, oh, go grab yeah. it. Right, right, right. Right. Do we ever do a 60 second drill in the real world? 
No, no, we don't. We don't. I'm putting on my gear and I'm I'm hooking into my pack mm-hmm. and I'm doing everything together. There's discussion about the NFPA standard changing, so they're not doing those as criteria for your firefighter one. So why do we keep teaching them that way? Right. Right. So let's make it more realistic to what we are. If we're a small agency where we don't even have assigned seats, then what is that going to look like? How am I going to get to that pack? Right. What is that going to look like in the real world instead of this perfect situation where everyone's lined up, you know, mm-hmm. right? You're six mm-hmm. feet apart. Yeah. 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 You're hitting on that. Yep. Yep. I can have my boots unzipped and I can do all of that. No, don't do that. All right. So put it in a realistic situation where what a lot of people will do. I haven't figured out how to, to make this work in the academy unless they're in the classroom. Okay. Uh, pretending we're going to run an alarm. Okay, go. Get out there. Put on your gear. Full gear. Ready to go. <laughs> and then see what that time is. Right. Okay. No, I like that. Real stuff, not the fake stuff. No, I like it. I I like that idea. Um, I truly do. That's because that's how it is in the real world. Like we're at the station and then like for us, we kind of get the sheet. We have a TV screen that shows us calls pending. And if we see a call in our jurisdiction coming out, it's all right, go to the truck and then put your gear on. My gear is not laid out on the floor. Like I keep my jacket hangs on the passenger side intake. My boots, um, I have thing. I have a thing with my boots and pants. I never leave my boots and pants on the floor because I've seen big ass spiders in our bay. So I keep it inside the truck. Where I just grab it and then I bring it down. My hood is already kind of setting out. My radio strap is sitting on top of my jacket, so that's the first thing I put on. So I have a system. But I, I like. I like the way you, 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 you know, you do that. Yeah, I mean, we're we're teaching guys to do things that we don't do. So why would we perpetuate that? Because then I'm going to have to unteach it, right? Even if that was how your academy occurs and you don't have a better way to do it, you're going to come to my station. You're going to be a member of my crew as a captain. And you know what you do, right? So you're going to go, hey, here's what really works for me. We have the same thing with boots don't hardly end up on the ground because for us, it's not spiders, it's scorpions and snakes. Right. Right. (laughs) I don't need a, a... you know, Western diamondback rattlesnake curled up around my boots. Yeah. Right. Or right. a scorpion in my boots. Right. Cause we've, we've seen that in our area. Cause we're, you know, back out in the West, you never know. Uh-huh. I could picture it in a lot of places throughout <laughs> this country where that's the last thing you want. Right? Exactly. Right. Right. So, but that's one that's, that's important. We need to find a better way to address that. What is real for us? And I don't like the thing that we regularly do of, okay, here's what we're going to do to pass the test. And then here's what we really do, right? There, there's too much of, of that. Are we meeting this IFSTA, NFDA, NFPA standard, or are we going to teach to what we really do? Mm-hmm. Where is that? Mm-hmm. Right? You got a lot of guys who said fire engineering's firefighter one, two book was one of the best but it doesn't have the curriculum the test package to go along for us to really do it i would love someone to take that on right i don't have the time or the energy but how do we build that to here's what meets the nfpa so we're covered as an organization but here's it's closer to what we really do Mm -hmm. 
the mm -hmm. real world. Yeah. I don't know no. how to make that happen. So when you figure it out, Danny, you let me know. I, I mean, trust me, I, I, my eyes are being opened listening to, uh, uh, it was a scrap with Jim McCormack, pretty sure, where uh, clue number one was when he mentioned how much whatever person of the NFPA gets paid. And I'm like, okay, that's crazy. Tip or clue number two was listening to Bobby Eckert talk about the NFPA and how it's I'm trying to figure out a nice word. It's kind of like a, I don't want to say scam, but it it's it's kind of messed up. Uh, I, I saw a post that that called it not for practical application, and I will I will have to say I, I I agree. Like we have manufacturers sitting on the board of these committees making these rules, so you know at the end it all comes back down to the to the mighty dollar. But it is it is messed up. But I wouldn't know that if I didn't expose myself to those things. So it, it won't be for me. I, I, somebody out there will, will will definitely like. I think it's. Uh, Project Mayday, don't add it, don't add it. Uh, somebody who needs to go out there and, and, and take that over. So, you know, I, I don't know who, who it'll be, but anyways. maybe uh, Maybe we can get retired Chief Eric Rhodes to take that on. Hey, 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 yeah, Eric, Chief, if you're listening, he just uh, kind of nominated you there. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the horsepower and the intellect to do it. So let, let, let's push that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, Next topic, uh, let's hit on leadership. Leadership, it's a, it's an interesting one, and I know this one kind of gets me in, in a lot of ways. In, in part, I guess, in listening to multiple recent podcasts between yours and some others, and I'm going to pull Jim McCormick back in for a minute when we talk about education versus training, mm -hmm. right? and the impact of education. So of course I came in with my degrees already. I came in with my, my bachelor's in English and sociology. So I know how to, to study people and I know how to speak and write and all of those things. And in turn, I, after my academy, I got my associate's degree in fire science because it wasn't that hard. There weren't that many credits to transfer over. And McCormick said, basically the concept of, you know, you can, you can put that cert on a balloon and throw it at the fire, right? Uh, no degree has ever put out a fire. You can't talk it out, you know? Mm -hmm. the chief has arrived on scene. Chaos is here. So there's this balance that I think what we want as firefighters, there's, there's a conflict. So I want a chief that is really good and understands operations. But the chief's not going to get hired if they don't have degrees. Right. They're not going to get promoted. And we know firefighters because we're we're kind of stubborn and sometimes we're slow and we don't want to do those things. So how do I get the person that is good at operations, but I didn't start their degree process early on and they're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get the academic in the, the leadership roles. I'm going to get that individual. They may be good at operations. Maybe. Generally, that's not necessarily the experience. You're going to get the outliers that, that wanted to go there. So I think we struggle with that piece of, yeah, you might not need the degree to promote to captain. It might not help you to have it. I would advocate that it does because I do chart review on a regular basis. Okay. 
and firefighters and spelling and writing and writing narratives, we could all use at least an English class, right? right. Some documentation. One of my favorites, our, our chart review for EMS charts at the last agency back in the day when you had to handwrite, we still had bubble boxes, right? So people okay. are writing everything in and they're handwriting their narrative on this triplicate copy EMS chart. Mm -hmm. And she couldn't read some of their handwriting. And she got a couple of the guys like handwriting for first graders and she handed them the books. I was like, that's the epitome of why fire service people need at least some education. Right. Right. And you think about how many projects we supervise and how many grants we have to write and all the different documentation that we do. That's where the degree is helpful. Does it help me on the fire ground? No. Does it change my radio communications or my operational capabilities? No. But does it help with all those other things? Yeah. Um, my my letters with my name, right? So I don't put my bachelor's degree or any of that. I don't put my associates. <laughs> I did my EFO. That uh -huh. was a lot of work. You know, that was four master's level papers. I'm pretty proud of that. And the people that I went with uh, on that journey. But that was a, a big deal. Um, I learned so much about my organization. I learned so much about myself from a leadership standpoint because they also have you do 360s. And I think 360 of yourself, so your self-perception is really important, okay? With legitimate questions of what do you think, how do you rate yourself in these categories? And in turn, real feedback from the personnel that you work with at whatever rank, okay? How do you see me, right? Where's that gap? Right. So I look at that as a critical leadership piece because a lot of times we have this, this cognitive dissonance of, okay, well, yeah, but I'm right. And I, it's more important for me to be right than to get it right. 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 So what I think I'm important, it's, it's that same concept of, Hey, do you lead from, do you lead from your trumpets mm -hmm. or do you lead from your actions? Mm -hmm. yeah. No, yep. this isn't Cartman, respect my authority, right? Right. This is respect the person. I want to respect the rank because that's inherent in our, our system. Absolutely. But I would much rather respect the person who's carrying that rank. Absolutely. I want to respect that aspect of leadership. And when we silo things in education, no education, training, no training, yeah. Should you, as you progress, should you continue to go out and get operational level training? Definitely. Because things change, right? Mm -hmm. If we look at the course of the career, all the things that have changed just in our short times in the fire service, right? So we went from offensive, defensive to offensive, defensive, and this transitional thing. And, you know, we're, we're the pendulum has swung back and now we're back in, hey, smooth bores. They never stopped working, but we had some other stuff that, that came in line for a while. Right. Right. So if you're not continuing to train, you don't back to that VES conversation. If you don't have chief officers that are going out and learning and continuing to learn, then they're stuck in what they know. Mm -hmm. yeah, it works, but there's other stuff that works better. Mm -hmm. So could we do other things? Right. 
for me, like I'm going to a conference in, in Phoenix, I'm going to the, the Phoenix Symposium. It's not an operational one, but it's good for me to learn stuff from other people. Absolutely. Uh, there, there are some great leaders out there that are nationally known leaders in the fire service. In turn, I encourage as part of leadership for my organization, guys, get out and train. Leave our fishbowl because we know what we know. And mm -hmm. I don't want the family tree to be a stick. Mm -hmm. right? It's got a fork. Right. Bring some other stuff. And then if it works for us, let's do it. Let's engage. Let's teach it across the organization so we develop good leadership overall. Um, understand, I guess, that your crews are diverse. They all have different needs. Yeah. Yep. I have an 80% theory that I expect 80% out of my personnel. I don't expect 80% performance. I expect them to be at 80% because they have lives outside of the fire service. <laughs> Excuse me. Bless it. You come to work and I know that you have a wife and you have a mortgage and you have all those cultural things that we talked about earlier. And they're going to be drawing on you. They're going to be draining you. So how do we address those? Do I know my, my personnel? Do I know their, their family? Do I know what's going on with them to where I can see that something's different today? Right. Hey, Danny, you seem a little bit off today. Is, is everything, you know, okay, what's going on? How was your four day? Right. How was your, your two days off? What, what's going on? Hey, um, you had, you had a game this weekend with the, the family, you know, how was your trip? Right. If we don't know enough about our personnel, then they may be operating even below that 80%. Mm -hmm. So it, it's figuring out, do we, do we care? Right. They don't care how smart you are. I don't care what you know until I know how much you care. So show me that you care about me. And then in turn, reciprocal, I will care about you. Hey, Chief, how are you? What's going on with you? How was your weekend? Right? So they have to see that piece. I, I hate coming in. I don't like leadership by trumpet, right? Leadership by rank. Mm -hmm. there, there's a weird balance there of what I what I can be involved with the, the crew so I don't impact their ability to have fun and stay loose and ready to go. But it's also part of leadership to me as a fair and equal. I will treat you fairly, but I may not treat you exactly equal because your needs are different. No, it, It's Danny with, with wife and daughter versus this person who has no kids, right? You may need some, some different things from me than that individual may need from me. Right. Will it always be fair and within policy? Yeah, to the best of my ability. But as a leader, I need to understand that difference. And leadership is gray. Black and white leadership is easy. Mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and, and sometimes people just end up there. They end up in black and white because the, the default is easy. But getting to know your personnel and doing a better job and working within policy to do what's best for your personnel, that's way more important to me at the end of the day.
you know we we live with each other for hours on end and i know stuff about personnel that i don't know about family members i didn't want to know it but it came out on the table right mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that, that's kind of our world the the safety of the firehouse table the the back step sitting at the the table out in the bay you know doing all of that so learn your people love your people be a good leader and don't be a black and white leader that's lazy leadership uh man yep i all i can say is facts that's it that's it it's all everything you just said is factual it's factual it, it it seems to be the default black and white leadership instead of living in the gray because yes you can write policies and procedures but the fire ground or or either the fire ground or the calls that you go on are not black and white they're not always black and white every call is different Every situation is different. So I love how you put that in perspective. That That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, uh, the default stress for a lot of people, it's easy to go to black and white. It's not easy to, to go, okay, don't take it personal. They're upset. Can I make a positive impact? You know, we, we teach our kids all the time. You know, it's not the action. It's the reaction. It's how you chose to react. Well, why can't, not that I'm going to treat my employees like, like kids, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to treat my coworkers like kids, but why can't I have that same peace with them? Huh? Okay. The, the don't take it personal. Sometimes we take stuff personal. Right. But is it right? Right. Is this really something that is personal or is it something that I can just say, okay, all right. So let's take a breath. Let's figure out the best way to, to resolve this situation and let's work through it as opposed to just, no, nope, policy says this, you failed, you're wrong. All right. You're not making friends with anybody if that's your leadership style. Absolutely. Yeah. I, not even with management because they don't really want that either. So I agree. Okay. slow down a little bit, take a breath, figure out if it's important, work through it. All right. I love it. I love the nuggets. <laughs> um, recruitment and retention. It's a, it's a hot topic for sure. A lot of departments are struggling. A lot of departments are hiring. See the flyers every day, every other day on social media. Um, what would you say? Well, what could be the best way a, a department can can do that like I, I know and i like how you mentioned it earlier because like it seems like the, fi the fire service it just goes in a circle right uh, back in the day it was low host beds from what i understand before my, my time and then it was you know they, they got higher and then now we're back to low host beds everything off the rear it used to be cross lays no cross lays uh it's just a, a cycle of of or what i like to call like a fad smooth bore nozzles fog nozzles uh, what, what, what's your take on, on the recruitment and retention? I think the fire service in general, we've seen it as a challenge and I don't know if I think in part, we don't sell ourselves. Well, we don't sell the good things about what we do. We've gotten away. Uh, Chief Brunacini wrote an article a long time ago that I read and he talked about the castle doors, right? We closed the castle doors. We build these great, beautiful fire stations. We focus so heavily on making sure our stuff is clean and, and shiny and looks amazing rolling down the road. And then we park it behind this 12 by 14 door 
and we don't open the doors and the public isn't in our stations and they're not involved in what we do. So we don't sell ourselves anymore. We're, we're not the, the armed forces commercials of the eighties about, you know, Hey, you're going to travel to exciting places and meet amazing people, but that's not really what you do. Um, right. We advertise all day long that we are fire. We are fire. Uh, but somehow it's, it's 10% or less. You know, and it's 10%, you're a busy department. Mm -hmm. If you're running 10% working fires, you're busy. Right. So how do we balance that out? We need to get back to, in my opinion, and something that's really important to my chief, the, the public events. Right? So Virginia City is a small town, right? Today, the, the state or the girls basketball team is headed off to state. So they're going to have an engine on the route with the banner cheering them on. You know, if they come back and they win, they're riding down Main Street on a fire engine. And there, there's posts, there's going to be social media posts about that. You're going to advertise the good things that are why, like for me, that was critically important for me in the fire service because I feel like I can give back. We don't talk about our ability to give back and community engagement and those pieces and having explorer programs and cadet programs and really being a reflection of our our communities we aren't in the schools because we want we don't want to do that we're, we're too busy we're we're too self-absorbed in so many ways and then simultaneously back to the the standards we're trying to set these requirements up to where they weren't there and still aren't in some places. Right? Mm -hmm. So we know in a lot of the volunteer agencies, we don't have this super high bar to start the process. And how long do we have to vet you before we're gonna let you do anything? Do you lose your enthusiasm before you can ever engage? Because you have to go to 17 meetings and you have to meet every person in the organization before you can even fill out paperwork to, to be a volunteer. That doesn't fly because right. it takes too long. So for us out here, like for our organization in particular, as an ALS all-risk agency, I have two openings in my department right now. We have two open firefighter paramedic positions. There's four applications as of this morning, and it's been open for over a month. That's crazy yeah. to me. Yeah. And it's it's not people who haven't already been in the fire service or already at other agencies so then you're trying to figure out that piece we don't have a lot of people leaving our organization we have attrition from retirement and we've done promotions and and trying to grow the organization but how do you fill it if there aren't enough people to do it so most of the agencies around here have switched to you have to meet the minimum ems criteria and we're going to put you through an academy. So we're going to hire for EMS cert, and we're going to train for the, the fire, technical rescue, all those other pieces, and we're going to push it through that way. And we're still seeing really low numbers. They were low before COVID, but they're lower after mm -hmm. COVID. Mm -hmm. So I think that for us, the first key for me is, what do we do? How do we engage in our communities? How do we get back to doing that with the personnel that we do have? Advertising all the good things. 
because the young firefighter also doesn't get benefits. They don't understand that. Right. They just look at the base wage. They just look at that. Exactly. You're going to pay me $40,000 a year to fight fire? Game on. Let's go. Right. Right. Where as we're older, we understand, mm -hmm. hey, what's your dental package like? Mm -hmm. right? You have vision? Right. Right. Um, how's your uh, retirement medical? Do you have post-retirement medical? Those, those are important pieces. So how do we expand that pool? For us, the Western states, at least in general, I would say have a much higher salary scale than definitely through the, the center of the country and throughout the South. Right. But we also have a higher cost of cost of living. Mm -hmm. So that balance, it, it's amazing to me that I get paid as much as I do to do what I do. I, I feel blessed because when I started, I was like, I can't believe they pay me to do this. Right. You know, th this is, this is great. Now we struggle because we have a lot of people that based on our high industrial complex area, you can go get a job tomorrow making more than what my starting firefighters are going to make on an hourly wage Yeah. with, with no experience, no background at all. Mm-hmm. So I think we really have to develop those cadet programs, those explorer programs, get out on social so people see what we do and really build that. And I think that's the fire service across the country. That's not unique to my area, but I think that's a critical piece we have to start addressing. I, I have to I have to agree on that. That that's for sure. That's for sure. Um, yeah, well said. <laughs> Uh, last topic for you, scheduled bait. Now you said you've worked two different ones. Which one have you worked? So the first department was a nine day cycle. Okay. So our, our FLSA schedule was 27 days. So it was, it was kind of obnoxious. Okay. But the nine day cycle was every other day for five days. So for example, Monday off Tuesday, work Wednesday, off Thursday, work Friday, and then off for four. So okay. I, I would just call it a five nine. Okay. Every other day. But being small, that those middle days were horrible, right? Right. I'd get home and I'd be dead till like two o'clock in the in the afternoon. Uh-huh. And then you're getting ready to go back to work. Right. Right. So and then that first day of your four day was the same way. You're just wiped. And we didn't have a Kelly Day tied into that. So you just did your thing. Mm -hmm. um, we switched to a 4896 at that department. Okay. We did some horse trading with a, a uniform policy. You want a personal professional appearance policy and we want 4896. So we, we played that game. That was the chief's deal for us. And that's what I don't know of. Um, I don't think there's any agencies out in our area that aren't 4896 now. Okay. That's a challenge for some of them for sure, because they're busy. Mm -hmm. We have some local departments that have some really busy stations and I'm sure that they are getting their, their butts handed to them um, on that schedule. Okay. But to have more time when we did all the numbers and 4896 gives me 17 more weekends at home with my family that works normal schedule mm -hmm. teacher. So mm -hmm. she's off for holidays and she's off on the weekends. And right. I get more time with my family. That's a big deal. 
we're also not a super busy department. So it works mm -hmm. in our industrial area. Most of the time we're asleep at night. So if I can get six straight hours, I'm, I'm stoked. You're good. You're right. 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 So that's, that's great. I would love like what I, I know you've talked about. I'd love to be on a four platoon 2472, Oh yeah, absolutely. but I look at the, that for my agency and not using my numbers, but if we have three, three platoons now, and it's a $6 million wages and bennies, where am I going to come up with another $2 million? Because if I had it, it's probably getting spent on something else. Right. So that's a huge transition that unless you can start it early in your organization, I don't know how to make that, that happen. Um, and then I, I look at from a, a leadership side, from a battalion admin side, the continuity of projects just went out the, out the window because you're not back for another three days. It's like you went on vacation every time you're off. It's like you're on vacation. Right. which is great for the the member. It's great for the line personnel, but it's tough to get things done. 4896, that was one of the biggest things was we immediately saw a 50% reduction in late call overtime. So if, and it's just inherent to the system. If you got a call at seven and we have shift change at eight, okay, if it's between day one and day two of your set, nothing changed. Right. So you automatically reduce that. So admin loves that piece. Mm I don't hmm pay out less overtime. mm hmm And in turn, I could start a project that we're working on. We're, we're fixing an apparatus. We're fixing small motors. We're working on tools, whatever. If it doesn't get done on the first day, I have the second day. Right. As opposed to I have to drop everything and start all over Stop. again when I come back. And then who knows? I may have forgotten what I was even working on. Right. 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 So that's one of the values to it, at least from my side. If you're getting worked, yeah, are, are we risking some things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last department we were on 4896 and still with low staffing, there were definitely some times where I was driving, where I was, I, I was Labradoring it. I got the window down, I got the radio up, and I got my head out the window to try and stay awake. That's not a safe way to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to balance that out somehow. And, and figure out what's best for us before we do stuff that's really dangerous for our personnel. So to, to stay on that, it would almost be increased staffing to compensate. So I can rotate some personnel around. I need to be comfortable as the BC or above, if that's your schedule, to go, okay, you had a rough, rough go, hit the rack, right? Mandatory nap time, right? Who wants to... to pretend we're kindergartners again I and mean, we're going to have nap time. Let's go. Right. Right. You had lunch. Lunch is between noon and, and 13 and 13 to 14 is nap time. Mm Right. hmm Yeah, little We reset. need to be comfortable with that. And your admin needs to be comfortable with that and not micromanage your personnel. If you're able to do that, great schedule. Great schedule. The other trade-off though, is it, For a lot of agencies, it allows your personnel to live farther away from your organization. Right. Because now a four-hour commute to come in, not a big deal. Right? I'm only I'm commuting four hours every every few days, every six days. I'm commuting four hours. Mm-hmm.
So you lose that community engagement piece too, right? I don't have to live here. So I don't have to be involved. These aren't my people. These are the people that I respond to. That's right. right. So I struggle with that. I don't know that there is a perfect system because right. we're firefighters. We're going to figure out a way to manipulate the system in our favor. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. Yeah, what we do. So I'm going to take trades. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to set up a month at a time. And I live in LA and I'm going to fly in and I'm going to, I'm going to work my shifts. I'm going to work 17 days in a row so I can have 35 days off. Right. No, you're, it happens. It, it, it really does. I've heard stories. And I'm like, that's, that's wild that some people, people do that. I mean, it is what it is. Well, yeah. And residency requirement, I am, I'm for it only for the sense of community engagement that these are, this is my people. Mm -hmm. But from the, the firefighter side, I don't always want to run into the, the people that we've run calls on at the grocery store. Yep. Right? Yep. Because that, that creates additional stress for me, or I have to explain that when I'm pushing a shopping cart down the aisle with my wife and my kids. Yeah. Who's that? Um, yeah. 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 Which is why for, for me, I don't live in the, in, in, in the County or in the jurisdiction I work for. I, I've always wanted to have that, that space. So I live two counties away and it works perfect for me. I mean, no offense, like I like my coworkers, but I don't really want to see them on my days off. You know, it's, it's like, it's my reset. And then I, I go into work, I go into work. And when I leave work, I leave work. Uh, so, the, but the only thing, the only trade off is my dad actually lives in my first due. So I'll keep our app on just so I can just see if something goes on. Other than that, like, I'm, I'm disengaged really. Yeah. Other than early in my career, when I first got hired and I was that perfect cultural fit, right. I lived in my jurisdiction. I lived in a kind of a beater duplex with some really loud neighbors. I didn't care. Cause I just wanted to, I wanted to work calls. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. I'm working a thousand hours of overtime as a rookie. So my third of my life that I was already committed to work, I was going to add more to that and be gone on campaign fires and everything else. And then I reached a point where, okay, I need to, to separate, right? Because at retirement, it's going to be about my family. The guys aren't coming by my house, right? But I want to still be married at the end of this. Yeah. I want my wife to still be around. Right. I want to still enjoy that time. And since then, I am... I'm only about 35 minutes to work now. It's okay. the shortest commute that I've had in my career. Okay. Right. Yeah. I'm about the same as you. Yeah. Okay. Um, I know I, I love, I, I tell you, I love your, 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 your thought process on, on these different topics. Um, I figured this would be really good and I was not let down. Like chief, this is, this conversation has been awesome. Um, I truly appreciate you coming on and 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 talking shopping, dropping some some much needed nuggets for for individuals out there. But it it has a deeper meaning because you are in that leadership role. Like, yes, you're still a fireman, but you you're a leader, and you haven't forgot that you're a fireman. So I, I don't know any fireman out there that doesn't love seeing a leader putting putting in the work and grind and hustle like you do. So I have to say thank you for sure. Well, Danny, I appreciate that. Thank you. And and thank you for being one of the guys that really makes the fire service smaller. 
right? So what you're doing with this is a, is a big deal, right? And whether you realize it or not, you bring in people from all over at all ranks, at all experience levels, and they're not all the, the big guys. It, right. It's not always going to be Chief Ike. It's not always going to be Mo Davis, Clyde, Gordon, Scott Thompson. It's not always going to be those guys. It's going to be the people that are the boots, right? The back steps doing the work and their experience from the smaller departments means a lot because there are other podcasts out there that are bringing in the big dogs. And that's an important aspect for us too. Mm -hmm. But what you're helping to do is shrink the fire service. And for us to recognize, Hey, I'm not alone. I'm not the only crazy one that that's going cowboy, John Wayne. Firefighting. <laughs> right. right. So sometimes we feel like we are. And I think that that aspect just for my mental health alone, for all of us in the fire service is a big deal. So thanks brother. No, and I, I appreciate the words. I really do. It means a lot. Like I said, thank you for accepting the invite. Definitely. All right, sir. You have a good day. You too. If any of the listeners out there are or know of a great firefighter who embodies the principles of being a great communicator, goal-oriented, hardworking, humble, passionate, and professional, regardless of rank, career, or volunteer, Contact me at student of the game fire podcast at gmail.com. Until next time, stay focused, stay committed, and stay safe.